Welcome to Season 2 of Diversity Dialogue, Cub Edition Podcast, brought to you by the Office of Diversity and Inclusion at the University of Detroit Jesuit High School and Academy. I'm Dr. Denise Williams-Mallet, the Director of the Office of Diversity and Inclusion and Diversity Union Club Moderator. The Office of Diversity and Inclusion is so proud to offer programs that will help harness the ideas and voices of our young men to champion change. This podcast is designed to give voice to a generation that wants to transform the world. The student-led podcast offers a platform for fresh ideas, collaborations, and dialogue. Each episode will be hosted by the show's host, Diversity Union President, Jacob Manastra, Class of 2022. Jacob will give the leaders of our student organizations, our students, parents, and alumni an opportunity to address, explore, and voice their perspective on today's diversity, inclusion, and belonging topics during the podcast. I am so proud and excited to present to you the host of Diversity Dialogue, Cub Edition, University of Detroit Jesuits' very own Jacob Manastra. Good afternoon. Again. (laughs) How are you feeling today? I'm fine. How are you? Can't wait for Friday. Me too. Every time, right? Every time. Every time. Yeah. So tell me a bit about yourself, your background, what led you back to Detroit. Okay. So I am from well, officially, right now, I just moved up here from Baltimore. Right. So I, um, you know, when they when I had my job interview, they asked me, why Detroit, right? Like, it's a weird thing. So I had, I was born in Michigan. I moved with my family. My dad's family is all from Michigan. A lot of them are still here. And so I spent my whole life visiting Michigan, northern really? Michigan, Detroit, flew into Detroit a million times. I've driven to Detroit a million times. Um, (laughs) So I spent a lot of time here and it's always seemed like a second home, kind of. Um, And so I decided after I finished my career in Maryland, I, you know, I was, I was hitting a milestone and I, but I wasn't finished working. So I decided I was going to look for jobs in Michigan and specifically Detroit because I'm, I'm, prefer to live in an urban area and found this job and here I am yeah so what what does this job entail what what exactly is it so it's it's a good question because sometimes I ask that myself (laughs) so being new I'm still trying to shape the job a little bit like obviously meet the job requirements but make it make some changes along the way but really what my role here is about helping kids um, and teachers with the learning aspect so when you think of my my job helping teachers it's helping teachers help you guys right so how can they be better teachers or what is a small change they can make in their classrooms that will make things make kids more successful in their content and same thing for kids so some of the things I deal with are scheduling issues some of them are easy some of them are very challenging Um, helping students um, 
find ways to advocate for themselves because I know that is a big thing here. Yeah. So, you know, I am still learning because it is, you know, I worked for the same school district for 30 years, so yeah. I was really comfortable knowing the expectations, the norms. I'm still learning that here. Yeah. Um, but my job really focuses more on the learning aspect of it. The learning aspect. So, so you did a master's in instruction, right? Yes. And so, almost, I don't even know what that means, really. But I guess... For me, because I'm a, I'm a big, I've done a lot of research on education. I, cause I've been to an international school, okay. been to public, I've been to private. Awesome. So I've been to like all three of the main ones, except charter, of course. Um, but one of the things that stood out to me in my international school was that they really did not use lectures. They hated lectures. They loved to do the, have a dynamic classroom. Yes. A lot of times we either do experiments, you know, chemistry or bio, you know. We have like something called Socratic seminars. Yep. And yep. I, I love those. So... I guess, what are your thoughts on lectures? Because I know for some core <laughs> classes, like 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 U.S. history, you know, or like in college you have those one-on-one classes, and it's inevitable that you use lectures. Are there ways that you can improve things within those lectures to make students more engaged? Okay, so this is a big hot spot for me. Yeah. So I will tell you this. So um, in my work previously, um, we, at one point, we looked at, there's a, an educational researcher named um, Marzano who did research on best practices in the classroom. So what are the best instructional strategies that yield success? Right. And one of the things he says that lecturing is one of the least effective. Yeah. Um, so I'm not big on lecture. Um, I can remember sitting through courses in college and you know, really it's about how do I keep myself focused, you know, um, it's hard. It's hard yeah. on the learner and it's hard on a good learner, oh, yeah. you know, and you can imagine how a struggling learner feels. Yeah. So I'm not a huge fan of lecture, but to speak to your point about can you improve lecture, yes. So there are ways that you can make lecture, you can make it more interactive. Um, however, the other methods that you mentioned earlier, like, you know, um, hands-on, hands-on. So throw out a problem to your students. Right. Can you figure it out? And then the teacher becomes more of an uh, a guide. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of classroom I ran where I did minimal talking. It was more student voices. It was more me asking questions, and so the kids were always busy from the time they came in until they left. Um, this was English? It was, right? Everybody hates English and it was <laughs> fantastic. No, but you know, I will tell you one of the biggest compliments I would ever get is if a student said, whoa, class is over already? Yeah. Because you knew they, they weren't doing that whole like staring at your phone, like when is this uh, gonna be over? Most kind of time people are happy, they're like, when is class over? Yes, yes, yeah. so I, I want to try to and listen, I'm not saying anything about any teaching in this building because I've only been here a little bit. Right. But what I would love to see is a lot of classrooms like you described yeah. where you are active, you are talking, you are moving around, those kind of things. Yeah, no, I've, I'm glad that, yeah, because I, I love that too and I definitely don't like lectures because they're hard on everybody, you know. Yes, so yeah. let me ask you this. So you mentioned earlier when you asked this question you said you came from a school where that was the norm and then you came here and there's a little bit more lecturing a lot more a lot more <laughs> yeah. so how do you as a student because this might help somebody else who's right. finding themselves in your shoes 
how do you adjust as a learner? So you go from a classroom where you're moving and grooving yeah. to where you're kind of sitting still and taking notes. How did you adjust as a learner? I mean, if you're completely honest, I still haven't completely adjusted. So you're still working on it? Yeah, I'm still working on it. Um, I guess I've never been that, I've never been good sitting still or like doing those lectures I've said, but I mean, you have to take the notes. I mean, you just gotta, because if you don't take notes in the lecture, you just fall behind and it piles up and then you, you just can't get cut off. So a lot of it is just, you know, self-control and determination and grit. And that's what I found because even with the subjects you do like, if they are lectures, then suddenly they, they, the teacher takes something that you're supposed to enjoy, makes it less enjoyable, and you just have to push through it, I think. So I don't, a lot of students don't want to hear that. I definitely don't want to hear that. Right. But a lot of it is... I don't even want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. But I guess, for me anyways, a lot of it is ultimately on the student, how much determination, how much do they care about it. And at the end of the day, some people don't care about, you know, English that much. Like, they don't care about... What? I know. It's a shocker. But, like, <laughs> some people don't care about school in general. They're like, oh, I'll go to trade school, you know, I'll drop out, go to Silicon Valley, something like gotcha. that. And so it's really hard, you know, to talk on a wider scale, but for me as an individual, for me it's been easier because I've always been taught you know, school, number one priority, that's your job. Right. Like, living in ch China, I'm not, not trying to feed into the stereotypes, but those are the smartest people I've ever met. Like the culture with school is just insane compared to even America. So for me, a lot of it was just reminding yourself that these are the kids who you're competing against. Like you've worked four years for this. Don't give it up now. Right, right. Like make yourself proud, not right. even other people. Just make yourself proud. Right. Yeah. That's um. That's a good for people to hear that taking notes is helpful. Yeah. And then recognizing that part of it is a, a level of determination of getting through. Did you notice a difference between, so when you mentioned you went to an international school, was that in Shanghai? Shanghai. Yes, okay, it was. So that was the, well, that's where you were very actively engaged. Yes, without a doubt. Okay. Yeah. And I, another thing that back to the plane of that was, again, the cultures. All the students either really genuinely like liked school or they really wanted to get into those top 20. They wanted to get into the Ivies. They wanted to go... Chicago or Brown and so they knew what they had to do and they were like they had the determination you know, and they had like the full vision I guess you know to see I have to do this and if I don't do this then I'm not going to get in there yeah yeah and so I think a lot of kids also connect can't just connect those dots like because I feel like a lot of students nowadays they just want to have fun in high school which is fine which is you're supposed to have fun but I feel like you can't people they think that like College is fun and the rest of your life is boring. Yeah. And then like from once you graduate there's nothing and you just have to reminisce on high school and college. Yeah. And I think what some of the students on the is you can make it so that your entire life is fun. Your entire I life, will attest to that. And your entire life you can enjoy as much as high school. Yes. But you have to make it so you don't have as much fun so you can have more fun later. Right. And that's another yeah. big thing. Yeah, you me. gotta balance. You do. Yeah. Exactly. So yes, that that I had to answer a question. I'll ask you. No, I think it's good. I think people need to hear from a student's point of view how it feels. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess for you, um, this is diversity podcast. So how does diversity play into you know the classroom dynamics and teaching style? Not only like race or gender, but like 
I guess I maybe focus on like the learning styles, like the diversity between that and how does that affect this education? Well, it's huge. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can take whole courses on, um, you know, I took a course on racism in education. Um, you take classes on multicultural education. Um, it's huge. And I think, I think one of the things I noticed working with new teachers, I can and speak to my own experience being a new teacher and then working with new teachers for about 12 years, there has to be a, an awakening it, that's kind of a big word or a corny word, but you think, you know, we were all students. Teachers were all once in your shoes, right? So I went to school, and then you become the teacher, and you think everybody's life was like yours. Right. That everybody goes home, and there's a parent there, and you have a safe space to do homework, and, um, and then you slowly start to recognize that's not the case. Well, the hope is you recognize that, because yeah. then that's what helps shape your teaching practice. Because then you are able to marry that idea of caring for kids in a way that they need to be cared for and also, and also choosing instructional strategies that will make them successful. Yeah. Right? So I'm going to go back to something you said earlier about how when you sit through a lecture, you are holding it together through your discipline. Like you are yeah. driven you are self-disciplined. There are a lot of kids who unfortunately haven't been taught that skill. Right. And so when they sit in a lecture, it's very difficult for them to stay focused, to not get in trouble. Yeah. And then what happens, they get in trouble, and then it starts this spiral where, like you said earlier, if a teacher makes you hate the subject that you thought you loved, then imagine how that impact, you know, that big snowball rolling down the hill. Yeah. So it's important as teachers, you recognize there's so much that goes into teaching. And I know people don't realize that because it looks, sometimes it looks easy, but I read somewhere that there, like a teacher makes thousands of decisions in a very short amount of time. It's almost uh, equated, some, some scientists equated it to an emergency room physician. Wow. Now it's not life or death, obviously, <laughs> right. right? Like I'm not, saving somebody's life but I'm making really quick decisions yeah. um, and I have to make those decisions keeping kids in mind so right. I don't know if you've ever, ever had a moment where a teacher has said something to you that made you feel really really good or really really bad right. but that teacher may not have recognized that that made you feel really really good or really really bad okay. right yeah. so as teachers we have to be really cognizant of everybody in the room so I think being a teacher you just really need to be open to learning about other people and that yeah. means all of those things you said different cultures different socioeconomic groups different you know geographic areas like when I first started teaching I taught um, sixth grade at a school that was wasn't connected but it um, served kids from a military base right. that was a real eye-opener for me yeah. I had never I don't have anybody in my family that was in the military, so that was a different culture that I was learning about. And how do I, how do I support these kids um, through my teaching? Yeah, definitely. It's complicated. It's extremely complicated. But it's so important. It is. It is very important. Also, it's very important to balance teaching a student versus teaching like a person, because you're in an education environment. So of course, education has to be a priority. But also, right. there are still people at the end of the day. So you have to be to like determine. When where where is the line? So I my next question for you is where do you draw that line? Like, where where do you 
stop teaching and like start helping or when do you like draw the line and say well as much as I'd like to help you ultimately like I have to teach and like well I don't know if there is that line now that you're asking that so so one of the things that I recognized really early on um, was that I needed to get to know my kids really well. Yeah. And I enjoyed that. It wasn't like it was a job for me because I think kids are cool. Right. I would not have lasted this long. <laughs> but I really genuinely was, you know, I wanted to get to know them because once I get to know you, I don't need to draw that line because I can build my lessons that are, are going to make you feel safe. Um, and I'm trying to give you an example that it's not going to bore people, but you know, like sometimes as teachers, we have to recognize decisions that we make impact how kids feel. So let me just say this. I had a teacher in my AP high school, English teacher. If we wanted to answer a question, we had to stand up and answer the question and sit back down. I was really shy in school, how I got to be a teacher, who knows? And you know, but I hated that. I hated it. I hated going in that room. It, it made me uncomfortable and so I think it affected my willingness to participate because I didn't want to stand up in front of my classmates and speak yeah. and so those little decisions that teachers make have a huge impact on somebody's like you know the person right, right. And you have the student there are other ways to build in rigor without making kids feel uncomfortable right. you know so so those are the decisions so I don't think I've ever run into a time where I had to say sorry I can't help you um, unless the kid wasn't willing to help himself, that's right. a whole nother issue, right? But I think, you know, every year that I got into the profession, I got better and better at recognizing small decisions that I made could have a huge impact on how a kid feels. Yeah, definitely. Or even a small comment you make to yeah. a kid. Oh, yeah. Definitely have a few of those moments, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. I can remember, and I'm old. <laughs> I remember something my seventh grade social studies teacher said to me, and I really liked him. <laughs> But he said it, and I thought, it, like, I can remember it all these years later. Yeah. So teachers have a big impact on kids a lot of times, and I think we have to know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned something earlier about, you know, when a student doesn't want to help themselves, that's a whole other story. So I, I might want to revisit that. Like, so, like, when a student doesn't want to help themselves, and, you know, there are a lot of students who care, there are a lot of students who don't care. There's a lot of students who don't have the energy. Cause they have so much other things going on in their lives that they just don't have the time and the energy to go through class and give it their all. So what, what do you do at that point when you know, you've done everything you could? Yeah, that's a hard point to get to. Um, and again, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. The biggest benefit a teacher can have is knowing their kids really well. Um, and, and it's a genuine respect. You know, I, you know, you get to that point when a lot of times there are other things that are broken, right? And so knowing that too, and what other things can you do to help that kid? I don't, I can only think of a few kids that that has ever happened. Um, but I think that is where things like guidance comes in, like, you know, the mental health stuff. Sometimes it's about that. Um, sometimes it's about um, something completely unrelated to English in my case. Right. That if I can help that kid get through that, then they might be more receptive to English. But I think there are um, minor, well, I, I don't know, I, I, just minor cases of kids that you have done everything you can. And what you don't want to happen is sacrificing the rest of the kids. You know, you get because yeah. teachers are human too, right? Yeah. You know, I dedicated 
willingly so a lot of my free time to that role but then you have to we have to also be mindful of our mental health and what good is that so yeah so it you you get it to a tipping point where you realize okay I, I have to I have to step back a little bit but but my thing if I ever stepped back was making sure that student knew that I am always here yeah I've got your back I'm here for you I'm gonna do everything I can but I need you to meet me and when you're ready to do it I'll be here yeah but then you know you've got a lot of other kids yeah so. definitely so how many kids did you have when you were a teacher my last group of kids I had 170 did you like having that many no I liked all of them yeah. listen of course cool kids no and I'm not yeah. lying oh yeah but it is hard as an English teacher to give really good attention you know imagine sitting down I want you to imagine your weekend you go home you open your bag you have 170 essays to grade <laughs> I can't imagine it's that. a lot and you listen I, I signed up to be an English teacher so I'm not complaining about that but 170 is a lot of kids and yeah. it's a lot of kids to get to know really really well yeah. that you can really kind of support them so when I taught middle school I had closer to a hundred that was and some of them I had for two periods right. like I'd have them for language arts and then and then English and so right. that was awesome because I really knew them yeah. they, could, they couldn't get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> so how what would be the optimal amount of students for you like um like a hundred I think is doable really yeah that seems like so many amount. well it does but you know what I will I will tell you this I, I have had classes where you've had maybe 13 kids and I like to do a lot of collaborative teaching and after a while you kind of you know you you don't have as many kids to mix up you don't have as many voices you don't have as many diverse opinions you know you you, you kind of like saturate that quick you mean you get really close really quickly right. but then after a while it's kind of cool to have a room of maybe 25 kids because then I used to do a lot of mixing and mingling and that would give kids the opportunity to work with different people all the time so how do you do that in an English classroom because I mean in math I could see that you could just give them problems and they just do it or something but that in English how did that play out how were you able to make it a dynamic classroom so I want to go back to what you said about Socratic seminar so I used to use Socratic seminar I found out later that my kids hated it because they were really nervous and so um, what I decided to do was use a lot of different discussion strategies so one of them was it was like mix and mingle so you'd get a playing card and say it was a five of hearts and then I would have on the screen, all right, find somebody with the same number. And then you would go, and then I'd put a discussion question, you discuss with the five. That time is up, okay, now I want you to find somebody with the same suit. So then you'd go find somebody with a heart, you'd talk about the next question. So that's sort of how it was. So you wasn't, people weren't sitting, they were all discussing. Um, with, I had big, giant playing cards that they would, then they'd hold up to try to find their partners. But, um, so those kind of things, because I taught, 80 minute periods yeah that's and so, what school had then. right yeah. so that's a huge imagine you have to if you want kids to stay with you you got to get them up and moving oh yeah and you got to get them talking yeah so anytime I could do that in English I, you know we used to do do you ever do a graffiti walk yeah yeah we did yes we did do those so I do a lot of graffiti walks I did silent discussions yeah um 
we did do small group discussions because they hated Socratic seminars so much. So, yeah. you know, getting them into small groups. Groups of like four or five. Yes. Yeah, I remember doing those yes. too. Yeah. Right. There's so much tension in Socratic seminars. Right. But there was a certain dynamic, really. It only works with certain classes. Exactly. Right? And, you know, I think what was happening is kids were, I wanted to, you know, my goal, any goal of a discussion is to walk away smarter than when you sat down, right? right? And this is coming back to that whole idea of diversity, like what you just said. Socratic seminar works for some kids. Yeah. They eat it up. But that's not going to work for everybody, so let's figure out how we can meet everybody's needs. Right. So I wanted kids to sit down at a discussion, feel passionate about what they were discussing about, more so than they were passionate about the grade they were going to receive. Yeah. So if that meant disagreeing or asking a question, as long as I could tell you read that text and you got that book, yeah. then I'm cool with whatever you're going to contribute as long as you're contributing, right? right? right. So we kind of modified that a little bit. But, um, but I, I wanted them, when they walked away from their Socratic seminar, I call it Socratic seminar light because right. it was like a, yeah. like a knockoff. But right. um, I, I wanted them to sit down and reflect. What did you do well? What did your group do well? And what did you learn? Yeah. Because that's the most important part, right? That you walked away not showcasing, look how smart I am. Yeah. I want you to learn how smart that person was and how that fed into your understanding of the book. Yeah, definitely. Because then you ever sit in a discussion and somebody, and again, this is where diversity is so important because the way you interact with text is rooted in your your life right right my perspective so, on it right yeah. so like when i taught to kill a mockingbird love that book a lot of my students responded in very different ways and what i wanted that seminar to be is a safe place yeah. to share that and also for me to learn like oh wow this is what other people thought of this character yeah i didn't think of that and why didn't i think of that right. and that's a really cool thing i mean that's why we read literature right to yeah. learn more about ourselves and other people and what even to broaden that out more that you've got now i get to learn how you interacted with the book right. so i learned about what i thought and what the characters you know what happened in the story but now i get to see my bff from you know, Shanghai is telling me, you know what I yeah. mean? So now I learn it from a different lens. Yeah, I think with English, yeah, I think different perspectives are one of the most quintessential parts of English. Yes. Literature is all about interpretation and the different interpretations, how that can improve others and help others. Yes. Right. And so I guess we'll have to wrap up oh, a bit. No. But I talked to uh, Dr. Smith yesterday. Yes. And we were talking a lot about the Finnish education system. Yes. He's done a lot of research on that and so advice. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. As if there's, well, I guess I'll just let you talk about anything in particular. And then if we have time, then I'll maybe ask a question too. But what are your general thoughts on it? Because there's so many things that are different. And right. So let me just make sure I'm clear on. So you're talking about the system of where they don't really even learn curriculum until later in their year like they play for they, right. they learn through play till about age seven and develop social skills that's the only thing yeah so they learn soft skills like yes yeah. um so i watched this video about that and i will tell you it was really depressing <laughs> because i thought how cool that these kids are so engaged and i do believe there were moments where they were able to follow their passions during the day so if you're interested in guitar you can yeah follow that um I wish there was more of that. Yeah. Um, I think, and I don't know what Dr. Smith said, he's pretty smart, so. Yeah, he's definitely. But, 
But I think, you know, that's going to require a cultural shift, right, as a a nation. Without a doubt. Because, you know, we could do that here at U of D. Like, hey, we're going to do, like, we're going to model our school off this. But what what is the impact of that going to be on your college? Like you said earlier, I'm still competing with these kids for these slots and schools. APs and standardized curriculums. Right, right. So it's like a a catch-22, right? Right. Because you know this would be really, it would increase motivation. It would probably be really good for mental health. Oh, yeah. But yet the other edge of that sword is now what is this, how is this going to play out on a college transcript? Right, right. What do you think as a student? I mean, I, I would love to be a student in Finland, honestly. I, I've watched a few videos, too, and they, yeah, they were pretty depressing, um, even as an international student, just because in East Asia, they put so much pressure on you. That's, like, the main thing. That's the main issue. And in Finland, you know, they don't put any pressure because you care about it enough that you're willing to put it because the culture is just so different than anywhere else when it comes to education. Yes, yes. It's really astounding, honestly. Yes. I have a friend who she teaches art and she did a year teaching in Finland yeah. and she went with her husband and baby and they stayed for a year and they thought they would stay like if they could have stayed they would have stayed because oh, yeah. it was she just loved working over there yeah I bet. It, it is wonderful I wish that definitely wish that more countries would follow the lead with right that. well there are some changes in the in the US um, have you ever heard of project-based learning? Yeah, I have, yes. So there are some schools that have developed entire curriculum around that concept. So there are no classes, there's no schedule. Like, you're, you would be paired up, or not paired up, grouped up with kids. And so what they would do are things like, okay, we want you to retell Shakespeare's Othello, but in modern-day Iran. And so you have to do so much learning to do that, right? Yeah. But your team just figures it out. Right. And then your teacher becomes sort of that guide. And they have done a lot. Of, it's a, there's a school in San Diego that does it. And they are a public school. They're a charter school. Right. And so they still have to take those tests that the other kids have to take. And their kids actually did better without any kind of standard curriculum or anything. So that's kind of an interesting shift, but it's it's a mindset shift, right? Because parents aren't down with that, and yeah. it's not normal. Yeah. There's a great movie about it if you ever want to watch it. I don't know if it's available, but it's called Most Likely to Succeed. But it talks all about different ways to do school. Wow. I'll definitely watch it if I have yeah. time this week. <laughs> no, don't do it. watch it this week. you got a lot of time. But I, Yeah, well... Depends on what kind of time. I know. I school gonna... time, yeah, I have a lot of school time. Free time, right. not so much. Well, it is interesting um, yeah. if you're interested in education. Um, it, I, I'm not sure if it's, if it's easily available, but it, uh, like I don't think it's on Netflix or anything, but it is an eye-opener to see how kids perform. Oh, yeah. And how they feel about being at that school because they literally run the show yeah. from the time they get there until the, and there are no grades. Wow, that sounds wonderful. Right? No grades. That would be a blessing. And, you know, there was a, you know, talking about advocating for yourself, because I know that's a big thing here, their belief is learning a lot of those soft skills. So how do I negotiate? How do I problem solve? And um, they interviewed a mom who sent her daughter there and was really scared about it, because she's like, this is not a normal school. There's no grades. I don't know. And her daughter was really shy, and they showed her in a Socratic seminar. She just was sitting there, like, all folded up in herself. 
And then they showed her at the end of the year, and she was directing the play. Wow. And her mother was just beaming because, you know, it what, it, you know, when you talk about education, looking at other layers of that, right? Yeah. Like walking out a whole human being. Right. Yeah. So. Nice. Well, to work on is making it not only more diverse in the sense that there's more layers. Because yes. right now we only really have one layer. And that's the, not only the foundation, but it's the start and the finish. Right. So you just got to work on, you know, just having maybe a foundation similar, but building onto that and making it a lot more dynamic and a lot different so everybody yes. can find a place. See, I'm signing you up. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. You well, have a lot of good ideas. I mean, I've done, done a bit of research. And you think about your experience. So you think about, again, the whole idea of you are well aware of diverse ways of doing things. Right. That's the power of diversity is yeah. what are all the different ways to do things. Um, because we get sometimes so in the tunnel, like this is what we do. Yeah. But you're already coming in an expert. Uh, I wouldn't say an expert. Well, yeah, but as a student, you have personally felt what works and what doesn't work for you, right? Just, and you can speak very clearly to that. Yeah. It's a big thing would be getting other students to have that same experience. I know, but I, well, maybe not in Shanghai, but, but I bet they have Wherever. a lot of the same thoughts that you do about how you feel as a student. Maybe. Maybe. Well, great talking to you. Yes. I really appreciate it. Yes, you did a good job. Thank you. So did you. Well, oh, thanks. Yep.